Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the author of 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Now. He is also managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Utah. Welcome to the show, Ray. Great. Uh, thanks for having me, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background leading into writing this book and your investment experience so far. Uh, well, I actually started at, at one of the major brokerage firms, um, spent quite a bit of time there, got trained up, and then learned that kind of the commission-based business model wasn't for me, and then set out, set out on my own to set up a firm that was uh, a fee-only firm. So you're a registered investment advisor, is that right? That's correct. And so I've been doing this since about, I think we calculated it since about 1990-ish. Okay. And so what kind of clients do you have, do you serve? And so most of my clients, in fact, I wrote my book really to my demographic, and that is people that are um, closing in on retirement, um, retiring, so the transition process, and then um, you know are in retirement or have been retired for a little while. So let's kind of take a broad look before we get into the details of, of what you're talking about here. As a lot of people, we have 10,000 baby boomers a day turning 65. Um, lots of people entering retirement now. Are most people going into retirement in pretty good financial shape or not pretty good financial shape? Well, statistically and, and kind of as a whole, the answer is people are, are not going into retirement you know, in very good shape. Um, the clients that I'm working with, um, you know, I typically picked them up and uh, worked with them prior to retiring. And I think we've got them in pretty good shape by the time they get to that point. But in general statistics show, I think that uh, last I looked, um, people at 65 outside of their house have less than 50,000 total saved up in investment accounts. So what's going to happen to people who get to retirement who don't have their job anymore, who haven't saved up enough? Are they just going to live on Social Security or what's going to happen to them? Yeah, Social Security a little bit from what they've saved and their family. I mean, ultimately, that's that's what it's going to be and or, you know, continue working as long as they can. But a lot of people are not able or willing to do that, basically. True, true. So it's basically just, yeah, cut back, live on Social Security and, and um, you know, again, hope there's uh, some some money in an investment account somewhere. Yeah. So so you, you talk about essential steps to take within 15 years of retirement to enhance a lifetime income. What, what are, what's the first step to do that? Yeah, step number one is you just need to get a financial plan. So uh, go through the process of, of kind of outlining, here's where I am right now, here's where I want to be at retirement, whatever that date is. And then look at kind of each aspect of the plan. So the retirement, the investments, the estate planning, the insurance, and uh, map it all out. And then specifically with regards to retirement, you know, um, are you saving enough? Do you need to be saving more? Is your portfolio allocated properly? Does it need to be tweaked? Do you own the best investments? Should there be some adjustments? Those are all things that, those would all be things that would come from um, doing a financial plan. And I actually found in a couple places that a couple studies show that people with plans have twice as much money as those without plans. So if you want to get on the right track to, you know, having twice as much down the road, you know, do a plan. That's a pretty easy step. What should people expect? Say they're getting near 65. As far as life expectancy and level of expenses in retirement, 
to plan for these things, you have to have some expectations. What is a realistic expectation for most people? So for most people, they probably need just ballpark. They need probably 10 times their last year's earnings in an investment account. Um, if they think they're going to live, say, 25 years into retirement, which would be pretty common. And that's real, 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 you know, real, uh, you know, broad thinking. But in, in general, that might get you in the ballpark, assuming you have Social Security and maybe you have perhaps even a pension. So that sounds pretty daunting for people, 10 times what they've got. If, if they've started late, is it possible to catch up? If you yeah, if you started late, it's probably um, pretty difficult unless you're able to save maybe 20% of your income and or you know, you're able to push your retirement back a few years. Um, sometimes what people will do too is they'll also you know, put the equity in their house in the formula. So you might say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to have enough financial assets to make it happen, but um, if I take the $300,000 that I have in my house, assuming it's paid for at retirement, and after I exhaust the financial assets, at some point I'm going to dip into my home equity via reverse mortgage or downsizing, um, that might be a way that you know somebody could make it all the way through who at least initially doesn't look like they have enough. What are the pros and cons of doing reverse mortgage in that circumstance? Um, well, I think, I mean, the, the pros would be obviously it would give them a, a way to, you know, add money to their nest egg, um, make their nest egg larger so that it can, it can make it the whole way. Um, the cons are they're, you know, they're using the equity in their house. So it's obviously not going to be something they're going to pass on to, to their kids. And a lot of people want to leave something for their kids. Um, I would look at it and say, Hey, once you've exhausted your financial assets, um, Really, your house equity is a viable asset and should be used. And if there's uh, nothing left, so be it. And if there is something left, of course, the kids will get the equity in the house uh, you know, at the end. Because so, there's been some changes recently in reverse mortgages that have made it harder for people. They have to prove, for example, that they've got enough to pay property taxes and insurance for a long time and in general have a kind of higher financial stability than they did in the past where they were kind of desperate. Do you think that's been a, a helpful thing in people getting retirement uh, reverse uh, mortgages? No, I mean, I think that I think that hurts, and that actually would make a case for, you know, doing it before you get to, you know, your last-ditch effort. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you thought you were going to get to the point of, hey, I'm not going to qualify, then, you know, do it sooner than later. Um, and again, hopefully you don't need it. Hopefully the home equities, um, you know, you don't need to tap it, and it's there for heirs and, you know, there for you and your spouse throughout retirement. One of the other things you say is you should start living like a retiree even before you retire. What do you mean by that and how could people do that? Yeah, so what I mean by that is to start budgeting a little bit like you, like as if you were retired. So sometimes people have a little bit of a shock when they hit retirement and they realize that they can't spend like they were. And so it makes, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good gut check to say, hey, let's, um, maybe pull back a couple years before retirement, start pulling back on your spending and getting your budget in alignment to where it can be sustainable the day you retire. Now, a lot of people think, in theory, that retirement spending is a lot less than working spending, that you don't have to commute to work, you don't need maybe business clothes. What level of spending is realistic to be spending in retirement as a percentage, I mean, if, if working life income expenses are 100%, what, 
what realistic uh, level of retirement spending should people plan on? Yeah, so that changes. That's different for everyone. But in general, you would say that probably about 80% of your pre-retirement income is what you'll need to maintain your standard of living. And you can kind of back into that if you wanted to get more precise and say, okay, I take my, my current gross income, subtract out my savings, subtract, I mean, the amount that's being pulled out of my, my paycheck for savings, uh, pull out my taxes. And if I'm spending the rest, that's, you know, that's how much you're spending and that's how much you're going to need at retirement unless you, you know, change your budget dramatically. I often find that people spend something different. They may spend 80%, but they spend it on different things in retirement, like travel that they might not have had time to do during their working life. So is that part of your projections is where you spend the money, not only the total amount? Um, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll do a lot of plans with folks where we will plug in the projections and say, um, you know, maybe the first 10 years, we're going to assume they need an extra $10,000 a year for trips. But then after that, we assume maybe that that falls off because they're not traveling as much and maybe their health has declined, et cetera. But we'll do kind of some what ifs where we say, what if we had higher spending early on and maybe a little bit less later? One of the other things you say is not to invest too conservatively. Do you find that as people near retirement, they put their money into bonds and CDs and money funds because they're worried about losing their principal? Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a, and that's a big mistake. And a lot of people kind of fall into that category. If you think about it at the, at the, the day you retire at that day, you still have some 20 year money in your portfolio. Um, meaning if you retire, let's say at 60 and you live to 80, that means you needed some of your money to be invested for 20 years. So I like to look at your portfolio kind of in um, terms of Money you're not going to spend for at least 10 years is probably money that should be invested in stocks or stock funds. And money you're going to spend in the next maybe two to two to 10 years would be your bond money. And money you're going to spend in the next year or two is your cash, which would be your CDs, money markets, checking savings, et cetera. Now, we've had a huge rise in the stock market in the last few years here. Some retirees would worry that putting that much into stocks, even if they need it 10 years from now, they're buying in at the peak and they they couldn't recover from a big fall as we had in 2008. Is, is that not the right way to think about things? Well, I think, I mean, I think there's a difference between buying in and somebody who's already invested. So I don't think there's a lot of people right now that are saying, hey, I have a million dollars cash sitting around and I'm just going to start investing. I think uh, a lot of people are already invested. Maybe they're 70% stocks or 60% stocks. And after this big run we've had, and now the, the right thinking, I, I think, would be to say, hey, let's make sure that we're allocated appropriately so that if there is a drop, we can handle it. So that might be taking a 60 to 70% stock portfolio and pulling back on the reins a little bit, making it a 40 to 50% stock portfolio so that if we do have another 2008, um, you know, our portfolio drops 15%, not, you know, 30 or 40%. And then, of course, it's easy to re easier to recover if that's the case. Indeed. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. Uh, he is an author of a new book called 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. He's also managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Utah. Their website is networthadvice.com. We'll be back after this.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the uh, managing partner at Networth Advisory Group based in Utah. His new book is called 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Great, great, great to be back. So we just have this tax bill that's about to be passed here. Uh, in general, how should it affect uh, people's view towards retirement? Income rates are coming down. They're making it uh, the uh, deductions for state tax are going way up. What would be your general impression of how this may change the retirement landscape? Yeah, my, my general impression is positive. Um, I don't think it's going to have a lot of impact on most people, quite honestly. Um, as far as our planning goes, I don't think it's going to be a big make or break. Um, my hope, and, and, and I think it's you know, to be seen, and that is that you know, what they do on the corporate side keeps corporate profitability up. And then from a retiree standpoint, if that can keep the stock market moving forward, um, you know, we'll take that all day. So my hope is really that we can keep you know, the market moving at least a, you know, decent rates and give us some decent rates of return. Um, you know, we don't need what we've had the last year or so, but if we could just have normal rates, normal stock market rates of return, you know, we'll take that for sure. Is that the reason the stock market's done so well as anticipation of higher corporate profits from the tax bill? You know, I think that's some of the reason. I think that a lot of what we have built into the market is, is, um, I don't know, a little bit of hot air and, uh, you know, we're, you know, people are hoping we're going to have better profitability and, and that's fueling, you know, the increase in prices. Whether we have, you know, increased profitability or not, of course, that'll take time to tell. But I do think that has something to do with it. I mean, obviously, the market's always moving to some degree on perception um, as opposed to what's actually happening when you drill down to, you know, corporate profitability. And the perception of this is going to increase profitability, and that's why the market's going up, you're saying. 
Exactly. Let's, let's go to some other options. Social Security. Now, uh, you have a whole section on how you should figure out when it makes sense to take Social Security. Last numbers I saw, something like 40% of the people take it the first moment they can get at age 62. What are the pros and cons of taking it then versus waiting to full retirement age of 66 or uh, the maximum age of 70? Well, the, the, I guess the advantage of taking it early versus late is that uh, then you don't have to draw out as much from your portfolio uh, to, meet, you know, to meet your expenses. So there might be an advantage if your portfolio is doing really well or if you want to keep more liquidity. Um, the uh, advantage of waiting, of course, is you get an increase each year and uh, up to all the way up to age 70. Um, and I guess the advantage at 70 is if you live, you know, if you live long, li live a long life, you're going to make, you know, you're going to get more total benefits by waiting until 70 versus taking it any time before that. So in, in general, it's really a life expectancy bet. Um, and if you, again, think your life expectancy is going to be past about roughly, what, late 80s, it's probably better to wait until you're 70 or, you know, to start taking it. Um, there is a little bit. I, ha I, I, do, I do sense from a lot of clients that, that take it at 62 that they're just, they just don't have enough, they don't have faith in the program. And they kind of have an attitude of, I want to take it while I can get it in the current form or in its current form. And um, again, we don't, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We do know that they're going to, you know, the, the Social Security Trust Fund runs out somewhere around 2038, you know, at which point if they made no changes, they would only be able to pay out 75% um, of, you know, of benefits. So changes have to be made. And that would make a case for somebody who says, I want to take it, you know, sooner than later because, you know, I want to take it before there's a change perhaps. And if there is a change, perhaps I'll be grandfathered because I took it sooner than later. And again, that's all hearsay because who knows what's going to happen. What do you think that, as you say, some changes need to be made so the system doesn't run out of money. What changes do you think might be made both on the tax side, on the eligibility side, and the payout side? Well, they could, I mean, they could fix, they could fix it in a number of ways, uh, all of which have a, have a lot of people that wouldn't be very happy. Of course, one would be to just take the ceiling off, um, you know, the, the amount of money you, you can earn, you know, you can earn and have to pay into Social Security, um, like they do with Medicare. So Medicare, no matter how much you, you make, you have to pay 1.65% of your income. Um, into the Medicare trust fund, Social Security, and I don't have the dollars and dollar amount in front of me. But it's roughly, if you make, um, you know, up to I think it's about one hundred and ten thousand. You pay, um, you know, your you pay into the Social Security trust fund, but then anything above that you don't. If they were to raise that cap or eliminate that cap, that of course would fix the pro, you know, the program. Um, they could make the program needs based in which case a lot of people will put a lot of money in, you know, wouldn't get anything out or get, wouldn't get as much out. So I think there's lots of um, cures to the problem, but again, none of them are going to make, you know, everyone happy for sure. So what in planning for this, assuming there's going to be some changes, uh, do you think your clients are making the right decision to take it earlier or, or, or not? You know what? I, I like the idea of taking it earlier if they are, you know, if they're invested properly, meaning if we think we can get a better return than they, that they, than they can get 
um, as far as increased benefits, um, then I like the idea of taking Social Security and keeping the portfolio invested. Indeed. And it ends up being about what, a little over 5% a year. So if we can make over 5% a year in their investment portfolio, um, then I'd rather do that, keep the money invested, and take Social Security earlier. So say people ret- arrive at retirement with a good-sized 401k balance that's invested in a bunch of, bunch of stocks and index funds and so on. What do you typically have them do? Do you have them roll it over into more income-oriented investments, or what do you do when they, they're getting to that point, they're leaving their company with their 401k balance? Yeah, so at that point, yeah, I typically recommend in, in almost every case that they roll the money over from the 401k or 403b or whatever it is to an IRA. And then in the IRA, build a portfolio that is um, kind of using a bucket approach. And I mentioned that a little bit earlier, and that is taking their kind of their 10-year money and putting it in you know, a diversified portfolio of stock funds. Usually we use maybe 8 to 10 no-load stock funds. Um, putting the money they're going to spend maybe in years 3 to 10 in, in, in bond funds and use um, four to five different types of bond funds, again, no load. And then money they're going to spend in the next year or two, we say, hey, let's take no risk with that. Let's keep that money, you know, either in the bank or in a money market um, so that, if, you know, even if the markets were to drop, it wouldn't impact, you know, your ability to cover your spending. Indeed. Okay, you, you have a, a, a kind of interesting question where you say, can having kids ruin your retirement? How is having kids potentially ruining people's retirement? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, well, it, having kids it doesn't doesn't hurt a retirement if parents know how to say no. And um, I, I have run into a number of people where they essentially kind of allowed their kids to ruin their re- retirements because they can't say no. Uh, kids keep coming saying, you know, mom and dad, I need help with this, I need help with that. And um, parents keep giving them money and ultimately what happens is it depletes the portfolio too quickly. And how about particularly relating to student loans? A lot of parents are taking on a lot of student loan debt for their kids, parent plus loans and things. Do you think that's not a good idea? Yeah, I don't don't think that's a good idea, especially because I think there are other alternatives in most cases, whether it's a lower, you know, uh, a school that doesn't cost as much or somebody taking a little bit longer to get through school. I don't think the parent's retirement should be at jeopardy because of the, 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 you know, the child's education. And then a lot of people also borrow against their home equity. We talked about using that in reverse mortgage, but they take out home equity lines of credit, even borrow against their 401ks and IRAs for their kids' education. You think that's a bad idea too? I do. Yeah, I absolutely do. In fact, I think, again, from a retiree standpoint, you really ought to make it a goal uh, to get to retirement and have no debt whatsoever. Um, having a payment uh, for a mortgage or a car or student loans, um, you know, really makes makes it tough on the nest egg. It makes it, it makes it it makes it a lot harder for the nest egg, you know, to make it the full 20, 20 to thirty years that it needs to make it. Especially if that's, you know, especially if you're making big withdrawals early on from the portfolio for those things. So it'd be nice to have no debts. You talk about the three debts you need to make sure you pay off before you retire. What are those three debts? So I would absolutely work to make sure that the house is paid for. 
definitely make sure there's no consumer, you know, consumer debt. That's just credit cards that aren't being paid off every month. And then, of course, you know, pay off, um, you know, car loans, et cetera. Um, and if student loans are in that mix, you know, pay those off as well. But again, not having, you know, not having an extra, say, $1,000 a month in, in payments, you know, really, really helps a nest egg go a lot further. So it's, it's, it all sounds nice. The reality is a lot of people enter retirement with debt, whether it be mortgage debt, student loan debt for their kids, credit card debt. What, what do you do in a circumstance like that when the ideal situation is not, not real? Well, what we'll typically do is we'll, we'll just run, you know, we'll do a projection and we'll show them, hey, here's where you're tracking with your current situation. And if it shows that, hey, you know, you're going to run, you're going to run out and, you know, your portfolio is going to run dry in 17, 18, 19 years, then clearly you've got to do something. So the first thing we do is show them, hey, here's the reality. The reality is you're going to run out of money. And then the second thing is to say, hey, what are some options to, to fix that, and you know, one might be, you know, might be downsizing. A lot of people will say, "Hey, I have a house with four bedrooms, and now it's just my wife and me. We only need, you know, one or two bedrooms, so that would be an option." Um, you know, another thing would be to, if you have some non-retirement money uh, in an account, you might want to use that to pay off some debt, maybe pay down some mortgage mortgage debt, if that's a possibility. Um, as much as I like to see all the debt paid off, I wouldn't. I would not suggest doing that with retirement money. Meaning, don't take a hundred thousand dollars out of your four hundred one k or IRA to pay off a you know a hundred thousand dollars in mortgage debt, uh, because the reality is, in order to get a hundred thousand out, you'll have to take out a hundred and twenty-five thousand or whatever it is. You know, when you uh, consider that you have to pay taxes on the money as it comes out. So if you, you know, if you're gonna have to pay taxes on that money, I wouldn't use that money to pay off debt. So you would, you would also never take money out of a 401k or IRA before 59 and a half to get hit by the penalties, even if you have to use it to pay off debt. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. But yet people are doing these things all the time. I mean, everything you're talking about sounds wonderful, but the reality is a lot of people are not doing it. Yeah, and I think part of the reason is that people don't—they don't understand, you know, kind of the consequences behind the decisions they're making. For example, somebody who's taking money out of their IRA early to pay off debt um, hasn't looked at the calculation of, okay, what what would have happened had that uh, money that I just paid in taxes and penalties continued to grow for the next 10 or 20 years? And if they saw those numbers, they would probably go, oh, you know what, that was a, that would be a really bad decision. And so, you know, part of it is getting educated. Part of it is maybe, you know, finding an advisor that can, you know, can direct and point these things out to you. So they should always look at the opportunity cost of the money, not just because they get focused on the current debt and getting that out, not what that money could grow to in the future. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yep, exactly. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the author of 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. Uh, he is also managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Utah. Website you can find out more about him and his group is networthadvice.com. We'll be back after this. Stop. 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the author of 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. He's also a managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Their website, networthadvice.com. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Great. Thanks for having me. What are some of the things people can find at networthadvice.com? Um, at our website, mostly you could find just uh, educational, inform- educational information. So our, our blog, our monthly newsletter, um, things like that primarily. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about asset allocation. Do you use individual stocks or mutual funds or ETFs? What vehicles do you tend to use in putting together an allocation? Great question. And the answer is, is really all of the above. Um, so with, with each of our clients, we'll first of all decide on you know, the, the right mix of stocks and bonds. And then from there, we'll divide it up into the different, different types of stocks, uh, different asset classes, different bond asset classes, and then from there, we'll drill down further to should we be buying an index fund, an individual stock portfolio, or uh, a no-load actively managed mutual fund. And I have, uh, I, I have people that have um, each of those strategies. So, for example, somebody who's maybe, um, uh, maybe wants to be a little more customized, um, they might be you know, more kind of more in alignment with having a portfolio of individual stocks. Uh, we manage a number of portfolios where we have 50 stocks in each of, you know, eight different asset classes. And in that case, the nice thing about buying individual stocks versus buying underlying funds is that somebody could say, I want to be customized and I want to exclude certain industries or certain companies, or I want to be socially conscious in the way that I invest and um, that would be a way to do that. And if you did that, you could still cover all the bases, meaning still have large cap, mid cap, small, international, et cetera. But you'd be doing it with a basket of stocks in each of those pieces of the market as opposed to a mutual fund. 
Um, I have clients that use uh, index funds or passively managed funds. Typically, we'll use those in um, you know taxable accounts, so non-retirement accounts, where we have to make sure that you know they're they're being managed in a tax-efficient way. And if we're buying index funds, they're not going to be kicking off capital gains and causing a lot of you know tax problems for for our clients. And so, in, in that case, we'll typically go out and shop for the you know the, the you know the cheapest um, you know indexed exchange traded fund that we can find, and oftentimes we'll use funds from Barclays or Vanguard in that arena. And then in retirement accounts, we often will use uh, actively managed funds. And um, whether you're using a firm like Fidelity or Schwab or TD Ameritrade, they have a huge list of uh, active managers and. We just simply go out and say, hey, we're looking for a manager in a certain part of the market. Let's find a manager that's been uh, one of the top tier managers for the last one, three, five, and 10 years. It's been around a long time and make sure the fund has you know, low expenses and no loads. And, uh, and so those are appropriate in that case as well. So really, um, individual stocks, index funds, and actively managed funds all could have a place in a portfolio depending on what the end result, you know, what, what, what end result we're looking for. Have the actively managed funds you picked in general outperformed their benchmark indexes? Uh, do you know what? It's really hit and miss. And in some cases they do, in some cases they don't. And it also is kind of hit and miss as far as the time period you measure. You know, last year was a big index year, so index indexes largely beat actively managed funds. Um, that's, not, that's not the case in every single year. So... Uh, it also it also depends on the asset class. There's more likelihood that um, an active manager might beat an index if you're looking at, say, small cap stocks or international stocks as opposed to large cap stocks. Um, so really, yeah, there's not a there's not a, a hard fast black and white answer to that question. So in your book, you talk about the the typical rule is. Uh, I guess 70 minus your age to, to, to what percentage of your money should be in safe things versus uh, more aggressive things. What, what rule do you use to how to allocate money based on people's ages? Yeah, so really a good rule of thumb is to use a formula. Just take the number 110 minus your age, and the result is the amount that you should have in stocks, and I would say at the minimum. So if you were a 60-year-old, we could say 110 minus 60 equals 50, and I would say if a 60-year-old should have probably about 50% of their money invested in stocks um, or stock funds, and that would be we're talking, you know, their long-term money, not the money that they're going to spend in the next, you know, 12 months or you know, not not their reserves for sure. And then for people who want income, who need current income. We don't want to be selling stocks to reach income. In today's very low interest rate environment, where you pretty much earn nothing at the bank and, and two, two and a half percent on long bonds, uh, what kind of uh, vehicles do you use to produce current income? Yeah, that's a great question. So usually, I just use the I just use a bucket of, a bucket strategy for allocating money, um, where we're not actually drawing income from the from the different positions in the portfolio, but rather we're setting aside money to cover spending for a couple of years. We set that money aside in a money market, and then we refuel that money market um, as we rebalance every six months or every year. And that uh, rebalancing would basically force us to 
sell a little bit of something that's done really well in the portfolio, and then that would, you know, refuel the you know the cash that we're going to need to cover spending in the next um, twelve months to you know to two years, depending on the on the person that we're investing for. So that way, you're keeping most of the money invested, but you're pulling out the money you need to spend for the next two years, and then you do it again. Is basically what you're saying. Exactly. So a great example right now is is large company U.S. growth stocks have just hit a home run over the last 12 months. And so they become a big overweight position in, in a lot of portfolios. And as we're rebalancing, we're simply saying, hey, we're, you know, we're out of alignment by 5% in that asset class. Let's chip away that 5%. And, oh, we're getting short on our cash. So we chip away that 5% and then put some of it in cash. It's now going to cover our spending for the next, um, again, maybe 6 to 12 months. So it's hard psychologically, though, for people to sell their winners. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, they have to be reminded that really what, what they're doing when they rebalance is they're, they're forcing themselves to take profits. And, uh, you know, right now it's kind of a nice time to say, hey, I'm taking profits at, at the market's all-time highs. And, you know, not with the whole position, but with just a small piece of the position just to get it back in alignment. Some people may have worked at one company for a long time and got stock either through their 401k or a stock purchase plan of some kind. What happens to somebody? What do you recommend to somebody who's got the majority or a large portion of their portfolio in just one or two stocks, even if they're good stocks? Yeah, I would say that the, the goal would be to hit retirement with no more than, I mean, ultimately, ideally, no more than 5% of their money in any one company. Um, if they can't do any better than 10% in any one company, then get to that point. But I think um, for people that are, you know, that have company benefits where they're going to be heavy in that company for, you know, for at least the time they work there, that they just do everything they can to pull back um, on that position as often as they can. So, for example, maybe that means every year they're, you know, exercising some options or at least once a year, twice a year, they're selling a few shares to, you know, to, you know, use the proceeds to diversify um, but ultimately, you don't want to be caught in a situation where, you know, you have a, you know, you have a big position, and we have a 2008 or we have a 2000, and uh, the market drops, and you all of a sudden lose 40 percent, and now you're not able to retire, whereas before you were right on track. Um, so definitely, you know, diversification needs to occur, and usually with company plans. You know, there are oftentimes there are some restrictions, so you have to kind of work within the guidelines that you're given and pull back when you can. Have you seen that happen where you had clients coming in with a majority in one stock and then it fell sharply and they weren't able to get out in time? Um, I've had it. I've actually had it on the reverse happen a couple of times, where we've actually pulled out just before the market drop. We did that with Williams Company in '99. Um, and had a client that had built their whole nest egg on, on Williams Company. It's a great company. They did super, you know, very well. They were rich or wealthy because of that company. Uh, very hard, very emotional to, to sell something they were so attached to. But uh, we just, you know, we convinced them to diversify, and they did. And then, of course, uh, that stock had a big drop. And um, had they not diversified, they would have had to keep working. But because they did. You know their their portfolio still dropped a little, but it didn't get crushed, and they weren't, you know, they weren't forced to go back to work. And people often put an emotional toll on it, and it's disloyal to the company 
to sell the stock. That's something that typically is not rational, but emotional. Yeah, and that happens for sure. And I think in almost every case where you have somebody who's, you know, their their wealth has been created from one company, they feel like, hey, this company is why I'm wealthy. I can't give up on them. And that really is not a, not a healthy way to look at it, for sure. Um, diversification is really necessary. Uh, let's talk about pensions a little bit. Now, maybe people aren't getting pensions who are starting work now, but a lot of your people probably do have pensions. What kind of pension payouts are possible? What are some of the choices people may, need to make when they're taking money out of a pension? Yeah, great question. And, and um, if you have a pension, you're fortunate, first of all, because they are going by the wayside. Um, a lot of companies want to get them off their books. It's just a big IOU they have to carry into the future. So if they can get rid of it, they, they, they want to. Um, a lot of pensions have the option, a lot of pay, they have a lot of payout options, but typically what it will come down to is a person will decide whether or not to take a pension that will pay them on an amount every month and for the rest of their life and their spouse's life. That's 100% a survivor option. Or they might choose a lump sum option. And um, oftentimes it comes down to, should I, you know, should I do one or the other? An example might be somebody could take a you know, lump sum for maybe a half million, or they could take, uh, you know, annual payments of maybe 25, 30,000. And the question will be, you know, what's the best option? And uh, if you if you look at the market historically and say if you just put, you know, the 500,000 into a conservative portfolio of 40 or 50 percent stocks and you, you know, held on and you paid yourself out like the pension would have, um, you'd find, you know, at least historically that you would have done very well, you know, doing it that way. The problem is that uh, not everybody is, is disciplined. And so if somebody, you know, takes a lump sum, rolls it to an IRA and starts taking withdrawals, and they do that in a very, um, you know, disciplined approach, taking out just a certain amount every year, they're probably going to be fine. But if they find themselves dipping into it periodically so that they're, you know, withdrawing at a lot faster rate than the portfolio can handle, then eventually they're going to run out of money. And so in that scenario, you would say, well, if you have the, if you you've kind of have the tendency of overspending, you definitely should take the pension. So it's a psychological test, not a financial test, whether yeah. you have the discipline to invest it. If you take a lump sum and invest it well, you'll probably do better in the long run. But if you start spending through it, that wasn't a good, a good suggestion is what you're saying. Yeah, and a good test of that is if, if, you're, if you're the kind of person that has a home equity line and you just have an open line of credit that you've never used, you're probably somebody who could have a lump sum, have it sitting in your IRA, just be taking a you know, normal monthly distribution and uh, never run out of money. But if you're on the other side, if you're somebody with a home equity line and it was you were thinking, hey, I'm just going to have you know, 50000 sitting here on the side for reserves, yet you used it to buy an RV – um, you're probably in the category of people that shouldn't take a lump sum, but should take, you know, the monthly payments. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the author of a book called 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. He is also a managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Their website, networthadvice.com. We'll be back after this. We'll be right back. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ray Levitra. He is the author of a book called 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Now. And he's also a managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Salt Lake City, their website, networthadvice.com. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Thanks. It's good to so be Let's back. talk about long-term care. Uh, as we say, a lot of people are living longer, uh, but they're not going to be able to take care of themselves forever. When does it make sense to get long-term care? My, my impression is that the cost of it's gone up a, a lot. When does it make sense to get a long-term care insurance policy? Well, it, it costs less the earlier you buy. And so typically people will buy long-term care between 55 and 60. And um, if you have that option at your company, that's oftentimes a, you know, often the best place to buy it. Sometimes you can get some group you know, discounts there. Um, the people that need long-term care are people that would otherwise run out of money without it. So you have to almost, you know, go through the kind of the financial planning process of doing a retirement projection, run the projection without a long-term care need, and then run the projection again saying, what if, um, you know, I have, you know, my, I'm, in a, I'm in a nursing home facility and my spouse is not. So for a few years, uh, we have two sets of expenses could our nest egg handle that? And if the answer is no, then you need, you know, you need to buy long-term care insurance. And if the answer is yes, then fortunately you're self-insured and you don't necessarily need coverage unless you just want more peace of mind or to leave more money to your heirs. Yeah. Uh, another uh, vehicle you talk about is variable life insurance, where you could have stocks and bonds and mutual funds inside an insurance policy. When does it make sense to do a variable life insurance as a way to save for retirement? Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of variable life insurance, um, not, as, not as a way to save for life insurance. If, you, if somebody did like the idea, um, I think it, makes, it, it can make sense if they buy a no-load variable life policy. No-load means there's no commissions built in for an agent, and that makes the premium about, uh, about half as much. 
and it allows the cash value in the policy to grow a lot faster. So um, as far as the life insurance, if somebody likes the concept, again, a no-load policy would make the most sense. Um, as far as a variable annuity, again, I would say if it's a no-load variable annuity, um, it may make sense. Again, no-load means there's no agent making a commission. And no-load also means there's not going to be a surrender charge, meaning if you want your money back, there's not going to be a penalty to get it back. And um, if you're a re- you know, getting ready to retire or soon to retire um, and have money in retirement accounts, you're already getting tax deferral. So there's no money, there's no reason to take money that's already tax deferred and roll it into an annuity that is, you know, that is tax deferred. Essentially, you end up paying for tax deferral that you already have. So it generally, isn't a, it generally doesn't make sense for somebody who has, say, IRA money. It might make sense for somebody who has non-IRA money that's looking for some tax deferral. And again, I would say if they find a no-load, you know, a no-load annuity, um, and specifically a no-load variable annuity, so that they can buy mutual funds on a tax-deferred basis. You have a whole chapter on picking financial advisors. You, you've been saying do no-load things where you're not paying commissions all the time. When is it appropriate to have a commission-based investment advisor? Because an RIA like you, you're probably going to need a lot of assets to, to come to you in the first place. How do you pick an investment advisor depending on your situation? Yeah, so I would say this. I would say, first of all, find an advisor that's fee-only, so that's not commission. Um, and you can find an advisor that's fee-only and pay them a project fee or an hourly fee like a CPA um, or a percentage of assets under management, which would typically be for bigger portfolios. Um, you can do that through individual advisors like me or through a lot of the big um, discount brokerage firms who offer similar services. So you don't have to have a gazillion dollars to, to go that route. But you want to make sure that if you're getting financial advice, that you're paying for it a little bit at a time over time so that your advisor's incentive is to work with you and take care of you and to do so for a lot of years, not just one time. So. If you go to a commission advisor and they sell you something and they make a commission, they're ready to move on to the next person. If you go to a fee-only advisor and you pay them just a little bit um, uh, of, say, an annual fee, and you pay them a little bit, maybe every quarter, um, they're going to have incentive to say, hey, I I want this person to keep coming back for years and years. Hence, I've got to justify that fee. I've got to do planning. Um, help them with their portfolio, make suggestions, make recommendations, um, help them through, you know, transitions like job changes and retirement, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I would say, you know, look for somebody who's fee, fee only, look, look for somebody who's a certified financial planner and somebody who also has been in the business for at least 10 years so that you have, you know, you don't want somebody who's, you know, cutting their teeth on your money, so to speak. Uh, how about estate planning? And they, apparently, in the new tax law, they're raising uh, the exemption to like twenty-two million dollars. So a lot, a lot of people are going to be paying estate taxes. What are some other things that you help people do to plan for when somebody ultimately dies? Well, there's there's actually a lot of things you can do. Most people aren't going to have to worry about it, about estate taxes, like you said. But there's a lot of things you can do to make the transition of your estate to your heirs um, a lot easier and cheaper, actually. Um, there's some, you know, free estate planning, like simply making sure any asset you have that can have a beneficiary does have a beneficiary. So if you have an IRA or 401k or life insurance, 
when you sign up for those things, you name a beneficiary. Most people, when they sign up at their bank for a bank account, they don't name a beneficiary. They might have a joint account with their spouse, but they don't name a beneficiary. And without a beneficiary, that asset has to go through probate when you both die. So super easy thing, fill out a form at the bank, and now that asset has a beneficiary. Uh, Another thing would be with your house. Unfortunately, there's not a beneficiary form for a home. So the way it passes to your assets is going to be via a will or via trust. And a will is going to simply be instructions to a probate judge of what you want to have happen. Um, And so anything that passes through the will is going to have to go through probate. Uh, Anything that has a beneficiary on it skips probate. So again, another reason to make sure you have beneficiaries on things. If you have a trust, the trust can then own the house. And um, if the trust owns the home, the, the home doesn't have to go through beneficiary, it doesn't have to go through probate either. So a trust could take your house out of probate, beneficiary designations could take your other assets out of probate, and you could have your whole estate moved to your heirs without any probate proceedings. And then, of course, if you're not in, you know, if you don't have millions and millions of dollars, you're not going to have an estate tax. And so that's going to be an irrelevant issue. In about two minutes we have left, just kind of summarize what difference it'll make in the kind of retirement people have if they take your advice as opposed to not taking the advice you've heard in the last hour. Well, the biggest thing is if you do some planning, you're going you're gonna to do a lot better than if you don't. And I mentioned it early on. Uh, studies show people with financial plans have twice as much money as people without. Um, studies also show people that use advisors have better performance than people that, with, you know, that don't use advisors. Um, people with investment strategies, so uh, a structure for how you're investing, have better performance than those without. And so I think a lot of it's just a matter of hey, getting organized, setting some goals, and then setting some specific strategies for you know, how you're going to get from point A to point B and then just working the plan. Very good. Well, you've given us a lot of really great advice to think of, but people have to deal with these things because if they just get to retirement without planning and doing all these steps, it's not going to be as much fun as if they do it right. Uh, My guest this hour has been Ray Levitra. He's the author of 20 Retirement Decisions You Need to Make Right Now. He's also managing partner at Net Worth Advisory Group based in Salt Lake City. Website to find out more is networthadvice.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Ray. Hey, thank you, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.